Okay, so let's just jump right in. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14, and then we're going to jump over to 21 to 31 in Exodus chapter 14. So let's read this together, if you would. We'll start in verse 13, and it says this. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And so there's a little bit of background here that the the Israelites have been in captivity for many, 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 many years. Um, The Lord has has raised up Moses and has has sent um, just uh, the Israelites into into a place, a a way of escape, a, a way of deliverance out of the, um, under the oppression of the, of the Egyptians, and they're, they're, they're being delivered. They're, they're going through um, the, the, the desert, and they're, they're about to come to a place that we look at in Scripture where, where Jesus parts the Red Sea, and you're about to, or God parts the Red Sea, and you're about to see a huge miracle happen, and you're about to see the Israelites be amazed at what God does in their life. Because you think about how the Israelites were in captivity, sometimes I feel like it, it, they get kind of complacent in that moment where this is our life, this is the lot that's been given to me, so this is where I'm going to stay. This is where God has obviously wants me to be. He wants me to be in this moment of, of captivity, to sin, to this, this relationship, to this, this, this way of thinking, uh, the, 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 the strongholds that Satan's may have, have brought into my life. And I don't think that's true because we're about to see this because what God said, what Moses said to the Israelites, he says, you're about to leave and you're never gonna see the Egyptians again. His heart, God's heart for the Israelites, for them to be free so that they can live, breathe, and move in his presence. If you look in verse 21 for me, 21 to 31. It says, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it to dry land. The waters were divided. So I just want to look at this for a second. If you look in Scripture, you can see things like this. It says all that night. And so when I'm thinking about Jesus, our God parting the Red Sea, I'm thinking about like, you know, the, you know, the, the King of Egypt movie whenever I was a kid watching it, and I, it was like a three-minute thing, you know. Part of the Red Sea, done, gone. Okay. All night, this, this was happening. The, the walls, and, if, and I have so much FOMO and so much ADD, I'm, I'd be walking through there like, you know, what the heck is happening? You know, it's, it's amazing to think about the miracle that happened in this moment where God, where God had just literally split the sea and the ground was dry. So where water once was, there was now dust. Okay, that's awesome for me. It's incredible. Okay, I love scripture. It's 22. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and the, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the day and And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lie dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And so if I'm thinking about this, and if I look at the rest of the history of Israel, 
you can say they're a forgetful people, right? Constantly forgetting the faithfulness of God. Can we agree on that today for those of you who read your Bible? If you think about this, who would, in this room, who would consider themselves a generally forgetful person? Just, just generally, I forget a lot of stuff. Me, me too. I, I, feel like, I, I feel like my forgetfulness got worse when I got married though, right? So, so listen, I, I literally couldn't find my face without Savannah sometimes. I'm like, listen, I don't know where, where, where are my keys at? And, and like, I'm like, I'm looking everywhere. And I literally do not see my keys anywhere. Like I, I, I'm like pridefully, I'm not gonna ask her because she's gonna tell me exactly where they're at. I'm gonna keep looking. So I keep looking, I keep looking, I still can't find them. And finally, after 20 minutes of looking, if I'm not late somewhere, I'll say, Savannah, where are my keys out? And where are they at? And she literally finds them hanging where I put them at. And I looked there 10 times and didn't see it. And so sometimes, listen, forgetfulness is a way of life for me once I got married. It's crazy. And so like, listen, when it comes to remembering God's faithfulness in our lives, though, I feel like we become especially forgetful, don't we? Does, is that just me? Okay. So like, listen, one, one great example is found just two chapters over in Exodus. You can look in Exodus 16. You don't have to turn there now. You can check it out later. In Exodus 14, we saw the Israelites being delivered, like miracles, pillars of fire, water walls, dry ground. It's like, oh my God, what's happening? We're being delivered. God loves us. What? And then all of a sudden, two chapters later, the Israelites, who have just been delivered from being enslaved for over 400 years and brought through the Red Sea as it was split apart on dry ground, dusty ground, if that wasn't awesome enough, you know, now they're grumbling about not having the desired food of choice they want. They were saying, well, at least back in Egypt, we sat around pots of meat. Now, I'm not sure why you would want pots of meat, but I'm saying, at least we had this to eat. Well, listen, what God says, well, you know what? Well, watch this. I'll provide even more. I'll do another miracle. I'll rain down bread from heaven for you to eat. Our God is a providential God. Our God provides our every need. If you're sitting here today and you're saying you're feeling forgotten or you're feeling lost or you're feeling hurt, God has not forgotten you. God is investing in you. He is, he's working for your good and for his glory. Because no matter how things look, he will provide. God will provide, even when it's not how we like it or how we want it. Because a lot of us mark off God's faithfulness because things didn't happen the way we wanted them to happen. When things don't happen the way and the order and the plans that we have, it's like God didn't answer because he didn't answer the way we wanted him to answer. Listen, God provides not because of us, but he provides in spite of us to do the things in our life that he wants to be done so that his glory can be revealed to people around us. And so the goal in this and remembering God's faithfulness this year is for you to get the eye, your eyes off of yourself and onto God. Because the moment where we start having self-pity, these emotional breakdowns, these things where we can't figure out what's going on usually means our, we're so close to our situation, all we see is the negativity and not what God's trying to do in the big picture. God has got a providence. But it's so easy. You sitting in this room today, these idiots, they just saw these, these, these walls of water, this dry ground, what the heck, man? Israelites are crazy, you know, whatever. But don't, 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 don't you remember, God, that God just, 
what he just did for you. Like, are you crazy? Israelites, what the heck? The water stood up in the two walls. Like, look what your God has done. Wake up. Don't you think that God can, what God, who, that God can do that is also capable of giving you the food to eat? Just trust him. Trust him. Go to him. Go to your father. He's got you. But then, of course, if you look at your own life, if I look at my own life, we do the same thing. Do we not? Like you think about God's faithfulness in your own life. God brings us through a trial. Who's ever been through a trial in this room? Who's might be in a trial right now? We've been through trials before. He answers our prayers. He brings us through these trials. And within days, we've almost forgotten his faithfulness. We're already looking on to the next struggle that's coming down the road. Oh God, what's coming next? What's coming in the next season that I'm gonna have to protect myself from? What's happening next week that's gonna make me worry or cause anxiety or it's gonna hurt me. It's like we've, we live from struggle to struggle or from trial to trial sometimes and at the depths of that mentality, what it is, the centrality of our lives is revolving around us and not on God. I don't know what you're struggling with. I'm not sure what concern or anxiety that you may have today, but I promise you the, the, the intensity of that anxiety is due to a lack of a vision of God that is too small. We need to see God for who he is and his ability to take care of the details of our problems. It's a control issue. It's, it's, it's infected every one of us in here, myself included. I'm probably the worst. I like to control everything, how I feel, how I look, all these things. We want to control. We want the control that God said he alone has. But guess what? That control is an illusion that our culture says that we can have because we can't control any of what goes on in our life. All we can control is our obedience and our surrender to him and God works out the details and the results. When trials come, guys, they will come. I already told you, if you haven't been through a trial lately, one is coming. We have to find our ways to look back at scripture, to look back at our life and to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. Who struggles with anxiety? We, we all do at some point. When anxiety flares up, we have to guide our hearts Jeremiah says our heart is deceitful above all things who can know it. We have to guide ourselves through the filter of scripture back to the rock of God's word that stands firm and God's faithfulness of what he's done for us in the past, what he's done for Israel in the past. We have to lead ourselves. Our heart can't lead us. Somebody says, follow your heart, say you're crazy. I'm not following my heart, it's deceitful. You let God lead your heart. Remember God's faithfulness in the past. And you have to consistently remind yourself of God's promise for faithfulness in the future. So important. If you're not preaching to yourself God's word, you're failing. If you're not reading scripture and saying, Michael, look, look, I'm, I'm gonna use myself as an example. Don't say, don't say to yourself, Michael, that'd get weird. But if you're not saying, Michael, like, this, is not, this is what's true. This is what the Bible says. This is what God said. This is what he's promised you. This is who you are in Christ. This is not who you are. This is who you are. I don't care how you feel. This is not true. This is true. Preach to yourself the gospel over and over and over and over and over again until you're dead because that is the only way that you're gonna be able to be sane in this world because you have so many things coming at you telling you who you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to look, what you're supposed to do, and when you're supposed to do it, right? And that's the heart behind the, 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 the lostness that we, that we get to whenever we start forgetting God's faithfulness. And this is true in our personal lives, but it's also true in this church. Like today, right now, last week, last month, it's important as a church, we come together. The Bible talks about unity a lot, being united together, being mature in our faith, coming together as a body and being one heart, one mind, one, one spirit, 
because we serve one God and coming together and being united around that and that's it. But we have so many things that divide us. And it's important to see that, it's, that we need to remember God's faithfulness and God's faithfulness alone that's what brings us through these moments. And in Joshua 3 and 4, you can go ahead and turn to Joshua 4 if you don't mind. We're gonna read verses four through seven in a second. But we read an amazing story of another miracle that God created and he performed for the Israelites. He calls, he calls the Jordan River to stop flowing so that they can cross over into the promised land. So God then instructed Joshua to gather 12 stones from, from the Jordan. A, a person from each tribe, a man from each tribe was selected. They grabbed a stone and they built this, uh, this, this basically a memorial stones. They put it together and they, and they built this structure and they said, they set these stones up as a sign of remembrance of what God had accomplished for his people. Something to look back on that they could physically look at and say, oh yeah, I remember when God did that. And it brings back encouragement. It brings back that, the, the, the correct mindset that we're supposed to look at. To remember, to remind all of Israel of God's faithfulness, to look back and see what God's faithfulness in the past so they can know they can trust God in the future no matter what they face. So let's read this together. It's verses four through seven. It says this. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord, your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And something really stuck out to me as I was reading this, and a lot of this is self-explanatory to, to most of you probably, but you see why there are memorial stones, why they put these up, why they place these things, but there's something right in the middle of this, of this passage that really God used to really give me a gut check. And it's found, in, you know, it's found right here in the middle of verse six. It says, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? And it hit me hard, because as I'm reading this, you know, we just walked through, the, walked through a series of, of what, you know, of, of a season of where Jesus was born, our Savior, the ultimate act of God's faithfulness to the earth. We just walked through the, sea, the season where God is, is sending his son down as a child to, to carry the weight of my sins on the cross that we couldn't bear on our own. He fulfilled it through the, through the new covenant. Listen, the church needs to be reminded of this so often. We need to run from our complacency and our stagnancy, press into what God is doing in his church, and you're asking like, what are our memorial stones? What am I gonna be able to look back? What are my kids gonna see and say, what do these mean? What do these mean? I look forward to the day when, God, when my, my, my boy and my girl says, who is Jesus? What does this mean? What does this mean in your life, dad? What does this mean in, your, in, the, in the church, dad? Why is this, what, what happened here? You got, you got about an hour, come here, let's talk about it. I'll tell you all about it. And just you're able to share all that God has done in your life, all that God's done in this church, all that God's done in your own marriage, all that God has done, you show him, you show him, you show him. But the, the problem is that our culture has taught us to be so, uh, so divided. But we have to press in to what God is doing in his church. And I was thinking through the memorial stones for our church. I was gonna bring some stones up here, but I was just, that got too much. So, 
you know, God has, what he's done this year in 2019, God has set up these memorial stones for us. And I don't want you to forget them. You need to look back at these. If you're here today and you're like, I'm just kind of marginally involved. I'm kind of like on the outskirts. I'm kind of, I like this church, but I'm kind of like whatever. Listen, you need to invest and you need to remember these things that you were a part of what God has done in this place. This past year, since January of 2019, we've seen 22 people come to salvation in Jesus. We've seen 31 people make a decision to be baptized, taking their next steps of baptism. We've seen 23 people take their next step in serving for the first time. We've seen four new connect groups created and multiplied. Four new groups who are meeting in places they weren't, weren't once meeting. We're about to multiply two more. That's going to be six. Listen, it's amazing. Above and beyond Sunday, a few weeks ago, We've partnered with three ministry partners. We're, we're still trying to figure out the logistics of all how it looks, or we're trying to learn because we're, we're still trying to learn how that looks. Um, and we're, we've partnered with three foreign mission partners, the same thing. We're trying to figure out how it looks. How, what, what do we do in those moments? How do we, what is it, what does those things look like? But God has created those investments, those, those relationships, and those are the memorial stones that I'm gonna look back on, on t- in 2019. And one day, maybe one day as I'm traveling to Thailand with Braxton, I wanna be able to say, look what God did five, 10, 15 years ago to set this relationship up. And I'm able to point back to God's faithfulness in my life and the life of this church. That's the kind of mentality and the heart mentality that we have to have as a body of Christ. But what about in your life? Let's make it personal. I don't know everyone's name in here. If I, if I did, I would name everyone off. What about your personal life? Look back over this year, over your life, what will you tell your children about God's faithfulness? What will you tell your neighbor, the person sitting next to you, the person at your job who's searching for something, but they don't quite know what they're searching for, but you know because you've seen God's faithfulness work in your life. What's God done in your life? What's he done in your church? What can you point to to say this is what my God has done? This is where he's brought me from. This is what he's shown me. This is what he's taught me this year. I'm not good enough, but he is, and he's given me grace to sustain me. Because I can tell you one thing. From the day you were born, God has been trying to show you how much he loves you, how much he wants your good, not for your comfort, but for his glory. He wants your good for his glory, not for your comfort, but America has that backwards. Your blessings have nothing to do with your comfort. Your blessings have everything to do for God's glory. The way he expresses that, though, is, is what I see is, is the way he expresses that to his people, the church, is through his undying faithfulness, his constant faithfulness. God is for you, yes, but your life is not about you. You got that? You're created with great intent. You were created with great purpose. The person that's most depressed in this room right now, God created you intricately with great plans and purposes, but but the enemy of this world has blinded your eyes to see it. And it's time that the Lord of all the earth is given access to your heart so that you can be opened up and you can be used for the purposes that God created you for. It's important that you understand that. Let's look over in Deuteronomy. We're going through the Old Testament today, boys and girls. We got one New Testament scripture, don't worry. Hadn't done it all year, so we gotta get into it. You know what I mean? So here we go. Deuteronomy 7, we're gonna look at verses six through nine. I want you to look how God addresses the Israelites about this topic. This is how God addresses the Israelites in this moment. Verses six through nine. Let's uh, read verse seven or chapter seven, verse six through nine. 
And this is God talking to the Israelites, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept his oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of, of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, therefore, the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And so Moses meant for the Israelites to draw three conclusions from the scripture that I'm looking at. The first one you see in verse seven, God didn't love the Israelites. God doesn't love you. If you're a Christian in this room, you've been grafted in to the nation of Israel. You've been grafted in to his God's chosen people. God doesn't love his chosen people because of things they do. God doesn't love you because of, of how big of a house you live in or how many accolades that you're gonna be able to check off at the end of your life. God loves you because he loves you. That's not a good answer though, right, for some of us. What does that mean, Michael? I don't know, I want there to be more, there needs to be more. God loves you because he loves you. His affection is on you. Listen, because they, he doesn't love you because of things you've done or because you deserve it, because let me tell you, look, this, this might be a big announcement for some of you, but you don't deserve it. You don't deserve any of it. But he's faithful to them and he's faithful to you because he loves you. He loves you. The second thing I see is in verse nine. The Lord alone is God. The Lord alone is God. He is able to control history. He's able to raise up nations. He's able to bring down nations. He created with his words at creation. He judges righteously and fairly, and he alone is God. He's in control. I'm not. You're not. And then a little bit further in verse 9, you can see the third thing. He's faithful. But not just faithful. He's faithful to the to a thousand generations. And so let me ask you this, like the a thousand generations is an expression. It, it doesn't mean God's faithful for a thousand generations and that's it. That's it. God's not faithful anymore. That's not what that means. He, he meant he would never abandon his covenant of love to his people. It's an endless faithfulness, guys. And so as I read through scripture this week, as I was reading through this, I wanted to give you something really simple to take home. And we're gonna look through three passages of scripture that are gonna kind of point to three different points, three different truths that really stuck out to me in my life as I was really struggling with my own life of, of God being faithful to me. And most of the time that where I was, I was concerned about God's faithful to, to me, I, I was being unfaithful to him and I was blaming it on God for being unfaithful to me. Does that make sense? And I ended up screwing my own life up when I was thinking it was God, but it was actually me living outside of his will and I was, just, I was just living in the consequences of my own sin. And it's important that we understand that. But I want to point to, um, if you turn to Genesis 22, I want to point to three truths from three different stories and scriptures that you're probably really familiar with. But it's these stories, it's these stories of history, of, of, of poetry, of different things we're going to look at. It's these things that are going to point you back to the faithfulness of God. And I feel like if you look back to what God has done, it's going to resonate with you in those moments that will tell you that God is faithful as we enter this new year, this coming week. I don't know what you've experienced in 2019. There's probably immense pain in this room. 
There's probably heartache. There's probably heartbreak in this moment. There's probably some depression. There's probably some anxiety that's through the roof. There's probably people's blood pressure is through the roof because they don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. They don't know what they're supposed to do next week. They don't know what they're supposed to do tonight. And so I wanna tell you today that God has it under control. Trust him in his faithfulness. The first, the first point, the first truth that we're gonna look at in Genesis 22 is this, if you're a note taker, which I hope you are, is this, God is faithful even when life doesn't make sense. God is faithful even when life doesn't make sense. Has life, has life always made sense to anybody in this room? Right, okay, good, awesome. I, hope, I was hoping I wasn't alone. Listen, look at the story of Abraham and Isaac. Look in verse, uh, verse one and through eight of Genesis 22. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Anybody ever been tested before? He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, and I love how the Bible records this, your only son, let's circle that, like, your only son, the one I promised you for 100 years, that one, if you're, just in case you were wondering which son I was talking about, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, region of Moriah, not reason, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. No, no arguments, no, no anything. He trusted God. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We, circle we, that is a statement of faith. We will go worship and then we will come back. Listen, he was supposed to go sacrifice his son which meant only one person was coming back. He had so much faith in God's faithfulness that he was always telling his servants, hey, we're gonna go over here and go through this little test and then we're gonna come back. That's a big bluff. I'm not sure I would have the, the guts to call on God, right? Go sacrifice your only son that I promised you for 100 years on this altar that I'll show you. Walk for two days and I'll show you where it's at and then we'll do this and we'll do the thing and then you'll go back home. That, that seems useless, right? That seems pointless to me. Like, why would you do that? Why don't you just test him in his tent and be done with it? Why do you make him walk so far away? What's the point of all this stuff? Listen, this makes no sense to Abraham in, in my mind. If I was Abraham, no sense. What is, what is this happening? What's, what's going on? But he obeyed blindly, knowing that God was faithful and keeping his promises. Even as they walked, I don't know if I could have not been like bawling, crying, like Braxton, no, I can't. I've been, and if you know our story, me and Savannah prayed for Braxton and Chloe forever and God answered prayers in that moment. And I'm not sure if God said, hey, give up your son. I'll go sacrifice him on the altar of surrender. I'm like, <coughs> can I find you pastor? Because I can't do it no more. And that's, I, I would struggle with that. I'm not sure if I can be as faithful as Abraham is in this moment, but thank God for Jesus and thank God for the Holy Spirit, right? Even as they were walking and speaking the truth, Abraham was speaking the truth of God's faithfulness. We're gonna go, we're gonna come back. In the middle of his test. You ever walked through a test before? Anybody? Who's ever really liked the test? Like, I love that, that was so fun. Anybody else? Okay. In the middle of their test, he was being faithful, speaking faithfulness. How many times have you walked through a situation that looked nothing like what you thought God said it was supposed to look like? How many times were you, God, I thought I heard you in prayer. I thought I read in scripture. I thought this, I thought that, I thought, I thought this is what it looks like. But listen, Abraham still has you beat. He was promised to be the father of the nations. Think about that. Okay, I'll do it, God, whatever you want. But then he was made to wait 100 years. God, I'm getting kind of old here. 
your promises are getting kind of old. I don't know if this is going to work out. Physically, I'm not sure if everything's going to work out right. You know what I mean? And then God made this old man climb a mountain and ask him to sacrifice his son that he waited 100 years for in an altar of surrender. God, so much anxiety, so much struggle, so much, so much fighting involved. But what does the Bible say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. He believed in him. He trusted him in God's faithfulness. Abraham's belief and his faith were on another level. He knew, he trusted. He walked it out in obedience. My question for you, will you, will you obey and will you believe God when life doesn't make sense? Will you obey and will you trust and will you believe God even when life doesn't make sense? Let's keep reading in verse nine. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. I'd be bawling my eyes out. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord, which I believe was Jesus, called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is called on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and it will not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. And it's talking about Jesus. It was Abraham's reckless and complete obedience that opened the door for God's faithfulness to be revealed in his life. It was his obedience and his faithfulness, complete and reckless, that opened the door of God's faithfulness to be revealed to Abraham. That otherwise, I'm not sure it would have been revealed in the way that it was. God keeps his promises every single time. But the question is, do you know his promises? Do you know the promises that are found in this word? Have you built your life on the promises that are found in this word? Or has this been a self-help book when you need things in your life to be fixed? Or, have you, or is this the foundation that you've built your life around? God, listen, God keeps his promises every single time. And if you want to hear something cool... It was because of Abraham's faith and obedience that you and I are sitting here this morning. And this year, as you take next steps, remember that God is faithful even in the middle of the stuff of life that doesn't make sense. God's faithful. God's, he can be trusted, so trust him. Walk in obedience. The second thing I see in Scripture, look in Daniel 3. God's faithful when we're in the middle of the fire of our trials. God is faithful, even when we're in the middle of the fire of our trials. And it's so important as we look at this scripture in Daniel 3, you're going to see some things that you probably remember from childhood. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in the fire. You know, they're all these, you've, you've sang the songs, you read the story, you've done the flannel gram things, you've seen all how that looks. But let's look in verses 16 through 25, and I want to show you some very specific things about what this looks like. It says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. This is not the president of the United States. This is a dictator. 
This man could have destroyed his life in one word. This was somebody that demanded obedience. This was not somebody that they voted into power. This was somebody that was ruling over a body of people and that demanded complete submission. So much so that this man built an idol of of himself and made the nation bow down to him because he was a God. And so that's the context in which we're reading this in. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. These next three words are the biggest words of your life because some of you find yourself in a trial today. But let me ask you a question. Do you believe God is still faithful even if he doesn't deliver you? Because this is what he says. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up because we know the true God, the Lord of heaven. And so today, wherever you find yourself, will you worship God the same whether he delivers you or not? Will you be okay if he uses your life as an example for others to come to know Jesus? Are you okay with that? Are we so self-consumed that unless God moves the way we want him to move, we're not gonna serve him? It's important for us to see this, guys. Let's keep reading. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his, I wish those names were a little bit easier to understand, like Mike, Ted, and Tim. Here we go. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded, commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the flaming furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked the advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. That's amazing. I love those old stories. These guys didn't beg God to remove them from the fire. They didn't didn't beg God, take me out of this fire. Take me out of here. It's hot. Take me out of this king's reign. They fell into it freely. Did you see the guards that, that were meant to throw them in forcefully died? Listen, they weren't forced into the fire. They didn't question the fire. They didn't cry about the fire. They just trusted the father. It's not about what I'm going through. It's a matter about who I'm going through it with. That's Jesus and he's with us and he's for us and he's good. And he's able to protect us in those moments. What we need to glean from this story is the fire never discounts God's faithfulness. The fire of your trials never discount God's faithfulness, but we will face trials. And if you're not in a trial, one's coming, but we have to remember that God didn't promise to take away the fire. He just promised to be there in the middle with us. And we always talk about the but God faith, the but God faith. I have, I have faith because I, I know all this stuff, but God, do we, do we have but even though, even if faith, but even if he doesn't faith, do we have that type of faith? If you read verse 24 and 25 again, it talks about how they were, he was amazed that they were, the, the king of the nation was amazed that, that these men were walking around and there was an extra guy in there who looked like the sons of the God. It says they were walking around the fire unharmed. Trials come, but trials never point to an unfaithful God. 
Remember that. Don't believe that lie that Satan tries to tell you because it's God's faithfulness in the trials that creates faith in us. And look at the faith these men had in verse 18. We said, but even if he doesn't deliver us, we want you to know your faith, your majesty, that we would not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up because that would be blasphemous to my God. And I need you to see that I trust him no matter what. Because even if God doesn't save us, he's still faithful. He's still God. And know this, God's faithfulness doesn't hinge on our desires being fulfilled. Hear that this morning. God's faithfulness doesn't hinge on our desires, our comfort, our peace being fulfilled. Please hear that this morning. As an American church, we need to remember that. We have brothers and sisters overseas who are declaring God's faithfulness in the middle of persecution. God's faithfulness is connected to his glory not to me. It's to his glory that it's connected to. We're faced with trials and persecutions or just the everyday mundane struggles of life of just trying to get through the week. We have to look back and look up and see God's faithfulness and be reminded of the memorial stones that God has placed in our life and says that he is faithful no matter what we face because he's creating in us something that can never spoil or fade and it's the salvation of our souls that God is creating as a witness to the world of who God is and what he's done. And are we bogged down on me being inconvenienced with trials? Am I bogged down with me being tired or frustrated about my life situation? Are we looking to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to see his faithfulness so that we can share it with others? The last thing before we go. God is faithful when we feel forgotten. God is faithful when we feel forgotten or when we're even stuck in sin. God is faithful to redeem and save and, and, to, and to call us back. Listen, we live in one of the most connected cultures in all of history. Who has one of these? I probably have most of your phone numbers. I could probably call you right now if I wanted to and talk. Like, we're so connected. We're on Facebook. Who's on Facebook? Who's on Twitter? Who's on Instagram? Who's on Snapchat? So many things to download on your phone. So many apps. So confusing. But we also live in one of the loneliest cultures in, in the world, in all of history. You have so many suicides. The suicide rate in the last 10 years has gone up 30%. Social media has taught us how to relate to people without ever having to be present with them. We can like somebody on Facebook. We can get a like and we can receive the same high that we get whenever we're with the person. It's okay. We're so disconnected. And that creates a forgotten culture. It creates people who are lonely, who are lost, who believe, who thinks, who, who can't see the light of day. And I want to look at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9 really quick. It'll be on the screen or you can turn there. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. This is Jesus as he's entering into Jerusalem, as he's looking, um, as he's going through this place. He'll, he's, you're going to see he's going to come to a man who is crippled. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there's in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to live. A great number of disabled people used to live. Remember that. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been there, who was there, had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. There's a lot of people here who are over 38. Okay? It's a long time. Right? Long time. 38 years, this man had been laying there, just figuring this whole thing out. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned, circle learned, that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? What kind of dumb question is that? Verse seven, 
Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, when I was trying to get in, someone else jumps in front of me. Somebody stole my blessing. Somebody stole this. Somebody stole, somebody's getting in the way. Somebody's moving up faster than me in my workplace. Somebody, somebody's not, I'm not, how many, many excuses can we tell? Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. Jesus came in, changed everything. 38 years, gone. Jesus made new, go, go and rejoice in the Lord. Listen, here's the coolest part of this story. God at the creation of the world knew that this encounter was gonna happen, right? Y'all believe that? Sovereign God. God knew that Jesus was gonna encounter this man. He planned it right in the middle of accomplishing the mission that Jesus was on. Jesus stooped down to love and to serve this man. And this is an example for us. Right in the middle of, 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 of controlling the whole universe, he has time for you. He has time to stop, stoop down, look you in the eye and love you and care about you. And that's what he's done. In the middle of saving the world from sin, Jesus stopped and offered healing to this man who had been an invalid, who thought, I've been this way for 38 years. I'm just counting down the days till I die. I'm over. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing in a towel. I'm giving up. 38 years is a long time. Jesus ain't gonna move. It's, it's just, I'm always gonna be this way. And another cool little point here. It says, after Jesus learned about this man's illness, he asked him, did he want to get well? And so you're telling me, Jesus could read people's minds. I'm not sure if you're familiar with scripture. He could read people's minds. He supernaturally knew things about people that he shouldn't know and freak people out. And all of a sudden, he had a hard time knowing this man's condition before he met the man, right? No, that's not what happened. He said he learned about this man's condition. This is saying that Jesus had compassion on this man, talked to him, and he treated him like a person, loved this man who had been ignored and pushed to the side when everyone else looked through him and, and didn't see this man for who he is. And I'm gonna tell you something today. No matter where you're at, no matter where you're at today, God has not forgotten about you. No matter what you've been through in 2019, God has, hasn't forgotten about you and he still has a plan for your life. And maybe you're the one that's held, you, maybe you're the one that's held you back. And what Jesus is saying is, is the last question, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I love, I love Jesus so much. But, and I'm not calling Jesus an idiot, but this is, sounds like a dumb question to me. Of course this man wanted to get well. Yes, he wants to get well. But this question was more of an exploratory question of the man's heart than his physical condition. I mean, the guy wasn't gonna say, you know what, Jesus, I think I'm good. Been here for 38 years, good for 30 more. That's not what he said. It pointed to this man's spiritual need for healing more than it did for his physical need. The question points to our spiritual need as well and here this morning as well. Like, but here's the thing that we all need to hear this morning. Please hear me if you've not heard anything else. Every person's greatest spiritual problem in this room, in this world, is either they don't recognize they're sick or they don't want to be healed. Do you fall into one of these categories? How long have you been right where you're at right now spiritually? How long? Let's do an evaluation of your life. How long have you been right where you're at? No growth, maybe stagnant, maybe lazy spiritually. 
just kind of been going through the motions, kind of just making sure everything looks right, feels right, all these things feel comfortable? How long have you been doing the same thing the same way because it seems safe and it's worked for you for a long time? This man was an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. Guys, I'm 37. That's a long time still. I feel like I've been alive a long time. Some of you are like, baby. Listen, 38 years. He's laid, laid there in bondage. Think about sometimes in this world, we get lulled to sleep. We become satisfied with a lot of compromises that we make, and a lot of it is wrong. Have you had an encounter with Jesus that has changed you? Or has religion paralyzed you and deadened your soul? What Jesus did on that cross is he went ahead and he made a way for you without asking you if you wanted to be healed, just in case you wanted to be healed in the future. The only step that it takes for you to come into a relationship with Jesus is a step of surrender, surrendering your heart and your life to him. Repentance is the first step. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning towards Jesus because Jesus is the only way, because he's faithful. I've seen that Jesus is faithful even when life doesn't make sense. I've seen that Jesus Jesus and God, he's faithful whenever I'm in the middle of my trials and I, I know he's faithful whenever I'm feeling lonely and lost and broken, when I'm feeling sinful, God is good. God is so faithful and he loves you so much. So this morning, don't leave here the same way. I don't care if you've been a Christian your entire life, but you've been a spiritual invalid for 38 years. I don't care where you're at. I don't care if you came off the street and you've you've been doing drugs all the way. I don't care where you're at this morning. I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. And I don't care if you're in here and you're broken. Come to the altar today. There's people in this room that want to just love on you and pray with you and just lead you to the cross of of Calvary and show you that Jesus has paid it all and that you have nothing else to carry. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at. I'm not sure if you've ever entered into a relationship with Jesus before. But if you haven't, I just want to give you that opportunity. And it doesn't hinge on what I say or a, a hand raised. It hinges on your heart. And so today, this morning, if you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus and you know that God is moving in your heart to say, hey, listen, it's time. Today's the day of salvation. And the way that you know that usually is your heart's racing. Like, oh, the Holy Spirit's moving. And it's important that you understand that he's coming after you because he loves you. And he wants to love you the way that he loved Daniel, the way he loved Abraham, the way he loved Moses, the way he loved this man at the pool. And so if that's you today, if you know the day is to the day of salvation for you, would you, just, would you mind letting us pray with you? Would you mind um, doing something very bold and just lifting your hand and saying, that's, that's me today? Amen. <laughs> Julian, can we pray with you? Can we pray with you? Thank you. Amen. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Is that anybody else? We're going to sing one more worship song together. Um, don't leave here the same. This altar is open. If you were too nervous to raise your hand, come to see one of us on the side, and we would love to pray with you. And so let's, uh, let's pray together, and then we'll go. Lord, we love you so much. We just praise you for who you are. God, we lift you high, God, because you're the only one who deserves it. God, receive glory from everything that happens. God, I thank you for our new sister in Christ who's come home. God, we praise you for that. We thank you for that, Lord. Lord, we give you all the glory, God, because it's nothing that we do. It's all what you do, Father, Lord. We pray that you would be with us in this time. God, we praise you. In your name I pray. Amen.